You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we're brothers. It's not the whole land before you. Let's part company. And listen to what he says. Here's what he says to Lot. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You know what that's called? That's called humility. It's also called faith. Abram's saying, look, I'm just going to trust the Lord this time. Do you learn the hard way? It's painful, isn't it? The Bible is packed with examples of people learning through their mistakes, and today's message is no exception. Abram made a mistake, and through his past failures, he was able to make the choice to follow God's plan instead of his own. In today's message, Pastor Danny will teach you about the story of Abram and Sarah, and how you can apply these truths to your life today. What changes do you need to make to put your whole trust in the Lord? Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Genesis chapter 12 as he begins his message, Two Believers on Different Paths. Genesis chapter 12. God called a man named Abram. We know him better as Abraham, but his original name is Abram. It means exalted father. And God called him out of an idolatrous lifestyle in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. Uh, You have Genesis 12, but let me just read you very quickly from Joshua chapter 24. Because some people may not know this, and even if you do, it's good to be reminded. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor. Nahor was one of his brothers. He has another brother named Haran. Lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. Abraham came from an idol-worshiping family. God calls him. When his name is Abram, he calls him out of that idolatry and even geographically out of his country and away from his family. And he calls him to go to a place that he doesn't give him a lot of details about. It's a journey of faith. His other brother, Abram's other brother, Haran, had a son named Lot who was Abram's nephew, of course, Lot would begin this journey with Abram. And along this journey of faith, their faith on the journey would be challenged, not just once, but repeatedly. And where each of them ended up depended on how they responded to those challenges 
they would face on this journey of faith. So pick up the story with me, Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. Stop. That's as far as you need to go right now because that's the first challenge. There was a famine in the land on Abram's journey along with his nephew Lot. A famine is a dry time. This was a severe famine. What do you do? Well, I know it's a natural thing to do. It's a literal famine. It's a physical famine. But I don't think it's wrong to suggest that there is a worse famine because the Bible says there's a worse famine than a physical famine. Amos chapter 8, verse 11, I'll just tell you what it says. It prophesies of a time of famine that's going to come, not of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. That's a worse famine. Because if you're dealing with a physical famine uh, and you have direction from the Lord, or at least faith in the Lord during that famine, you'll be okay. You will be okay. But this is a challenge. There was a famine. It was a dry time. Come on, anybody had a dry time in your Christian life? Anybody have more than one? I have. And sometimes in those dry times, in my dry times with the Lord, sometimes I don't really hear his voice clearly. Oh, I know I'm in the word. I understand that. Maybe you've had the experience of being in the word regularly, and yet you can't get a clear word during the dry time. It's a challenge. Next part of the verse, look at it with me. And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Now, it's my opinion. It's my opinion. This was not the will of God for Abram. There's no mention of him asking direction from the Lord, seeking the Lord, building an altar, which he did several times, recorded for us, that he built several altars to the Lord. It's on that journey of faith. It's a dry time. It's severe, and he heads south. Egypt is a type in the Bible of the world. You can just pin down uh, Revelation chapter 11, verse 8, and that one verse proves that. Egypt is a type of the world. And so the famine on the journey of faith, he heads in, in a direction I believe was not God's will. And if I'm right about that, anytime we head in a direction other than the will of the Lord, anytime we go toward, if you will, the world, other mistakes will likely follow. And that's what happens. Verse 11, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, and I'm not going to keep saying Sarai, but that was her original name. Her name was changed later to Sarah. He said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. And when the, Egypt, the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared. Because of you. This is his first mistake in Egypt. As he's entering Egypt. Can you believe it? Abram asked his wife to lie for him. To lie. It was um, part of the culture that kings uh, in those days, part of their status depended on the size of their harem. 
So what's happening here is Abram knows uh, the potential that when we, they get into Egypt, some king in Egypt may see his beautiful wife and want to add her to his harem to add to his status and possibly his personal pleasure. And he'd just take Abraham, Abram out and take her in. And so he says to his wife, say you're my sister. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when the Pharaoh, Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants, and camels. Hey, at least he's getting rich off the deal. Verse 17, check it out. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household. Because of Abram's wife, Sarah, E, or Sarah. Now, if that sounds odd, that's the grace of God. That's the mercy of God. It's also God in bringing to light Abram's dishonesty, his mistake. And listen, not encouraging in one way, but on the other side, it is encouraging. Look, if we really do belong to him, to the Lord, he won't let us get away with anything. I hated it. Now, the times I wanted to get away with things and I didn't get away with them. Now as a Christian, I know God won't let me get away with anything. He doesn't let Abram get away with it. For his own sake, he doesn't let him get away with it. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Get out of here. Been a great witness down in Egypt, hadn't he? And then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Once again, I think it was a mistake to go down to Egypt, and it was a mistake to go there, and then once he got there, he made more mistakes. Thank God Pharaoh kicked him out of Egypt. And now he's back on the journey that he should have stayed on. And it is indeed a journey of faith. Chapter 13, so Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold, and some of that came from Egypt. From the Negev, he went, up, uh, went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of of the Lord. And I know Abram wishes that were recorded for him before he went down to Egypt during the famine. But thank God, it seems like he's learning. He worships, he seeks the Lord. Verse 5 Now, Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. I think it's interesting the Holy Spirit adds the last little line there in verse 7. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. Years ago, I read that and thought, why'd God put that there? Years later, God gave me the answer, I think. I think that's there simply to remind us, as well as remind Abram, that even though he's left Egypt, He's back on the journey of faith. There's still unbelievers around. And he blew his witness in Egypt. 
Don't blow it with the Canaanites and the Perizzites. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we're brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. And listen to what he says. Here's what he says to Lot. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You know what that's called? That's called humility. It's also called faith. Abram's saying, look, I'm just going to trust the Lord this time. I'm going to trust the Lord. So Lot, you make the first choice. Whichever way you go, I'll go the other way. That's faith. That's humility. In contrast, verse 10, Lot looked up, saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord. That probably refers to the garden of Eden. Like the land of Egypt towards Zor, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan, and he set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain, and this is a very important statement, don't miss it, and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now again, when we think of Sodom, if you know anything about the Bible, one of the first thoughts you might have when you think of Sodom, it could be that you think of uh, homosexuality, or it could be your first thought is, you know, uh, fire and brimstone, because we know that God would burn Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone. But let's understand something. At this time, Sodom was physically a beautiful place, well-watered, like the garden of the Lord. And that's why when Abram says to Lot, you make the first choice, and Lot looks up, and Lot makes a carnal, fleshly choice. He says, well, the grass is greener over there. That's the way I'm going to go. And it's exactly the opposite now of Abram in his spiritual state at this point. Abram is humble. Abram says, I'm just going to trust the Lord. And Lot says, oh, man, that's appealing. That's attractive. That's greener grass. And that's the way he goes. And he pitched his tents near Sodom. He pitched his tents near Sodom. Could I pause just for a moment and just read from Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8? By faith, Abraham, when God called to go to a place, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. As did Isaac and Jacob, and I'm going to add, and Lot. Because Lot began the journey of faith with his uncle Abram, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with the foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Uh, the tent life speaks of the same thing we've been talking about even this past weekend of, you know, keeping your eyes on eternity and not focusing on just this life and not getting your roots deep down here and not letting the pull of the world pull you away from the pull of heaven. So important to note, Lot pitches his tents 
He's still a tent dweller, but he's pitching his tents near Sodom. We're to him, to him, with physical sight, with human logic, the grass is greener. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So even though it's more physically appealing, even though it's more physically attractive, even though it seems the logical direction to go, at least a lot, it's a bad move. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north, south, east, and west. Let me remind us that includes the direction Lot went. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. That's eternity. What's happening in Sodom is just for the now. Uh, the sin, the wickedness, the pleasure, the carousing, the sexual immorality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It, the world. That's just for now. What God has for Abram and what he has for Lot is beyond this world, beyond this life, better than this life. As David said, eternal pleasures at your right hand forever. Eternal pleasures. And it's so incredible, isn't it? Even ironic. Abram now, I think humbled because of the mistakes down south, now with fresh faith, he says to Lot, in a humble state, full of faith, you choose. Whichever way you go, I'll go the other way. And not only does Lot make a bad choice, Abraham makes the choice of faith, but now God reminds Abram, look, what I'm giving you is far better than anything, anything this world has to offer. Verse 15, all the land that you see I'll give to you and your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. That's a lot of kids. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. Note this, so Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. Good move, Abram. Good move. Chapter 14, I hope you're with me. At this time, Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elasser, Kedralamer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim went to war against Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemim, that guy, king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, that is Zor. All these latter kings joined forces in the valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. For 12 years they had been subject to Kedrolamer, but in the 13th year they rebelled. In the 14th year, Kedrolamer and the kings allied with him went out and defeated the Rephites and Ashtaroth, Karnaim, the Zuzites and Ham, the Emites and Shava, Kiriath, uh, there, yeah, those places, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran near the desert. Then they turned back and went in Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and they conquered the whole territory of the Malachites, as well as the Amorites who were living in Hazan Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, that is Zor, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Siddim against Kedralamer, Tidal, Amraphel, and Arioch, four kings against five. Stop there just a minute. 
me give you something I think is interesting. Some of the names of these kings, Amraphel means sayer of darkness. Bera means son of evil. Bersha means with iniquity. The point, these are pagan kings. These are enemy kings of God and the people of God, like Abram, like Lot. This is the enemy. Verse 10, now the valley of Siddim was full of tar pits, and when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled to the hills. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions. Catch this statement. Since he was living in Sodom. The verse we read just a few minutes ago, he goes south or he goes toward where the grass is greener and he pitches his tents near Sodom. But he's not in Sodom. He's not living in Sodom. He's just close to Sodom. Now he has a home in Sodom. He's living in Sodom. And because he has chosen to make his dwelling in Sodom, he ends up taken captive by the enemy. Quick, needed reminder. Peter writes and he says, your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion and he's roaming throughout the earth, seeking someone to devour. I need to remind us, including myself, he's not trying or seeking to devour someone who's not a believer, someone who's not on a journey of faith. He's already got them. He's already got them. He's seeking to devour you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. He's seeking to devour me as a believer in Jesus Christ. He's seeking to take you captive or me captive. And we're capable of being taken captive if we make the foolish mistakes that put us in that position to be taken captive. Verse 13, one who had escaped came and reported this to Abram, the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eschol and Aner, and all of them were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household, and he went and pursued as far as Dan. That's north. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. That's further north. He recovered all the goods. He brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. I could do a whole message on this, but look, you know what our business is? Our business is to free the captives in the name of the Lord. I mean, those who are captive to the enemy that have never given their lives to Jesus Christ and those that are captive to the enemy that, are already, that already belong to Christ. But I can't get off on that whole message right now. Let me just say, though, Ephesians 6, verses 17 and 18, in that whole list in Ephesians 6, after beginning, reminding us that it is a spiritual battle, a spiritual battle, and our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, then it lists all those wonderful pieces of armor, spiritual armor that God gives us. And the last one listed, you know what it is? And pray on all occasions. Pray, pray. Listen, want to see somebody delivered? We better be praying for them. 
Want to see a believer delivered that's been taken captive? We better be praying for him. There's more to discover from Pastor Danny's series in the book of Genesis, so be sure to tune in again next time to The Living Word. This book of the Bible is where it all began, the record of the first human beings to ever walk the earth. It's stories of hope, of promise, of heartache and betrayal, all surrounded by the love of God for His creation. He could have given up on the human race long ago, but He didn't. God knew that we'd fall. He knew that our sin would separate us from Him. And that's why from the very beginning, from that first betrayal, God revealed a plan for salvation. That plan included His Son, Jesus Christ, who would come to the earth to die in our place. Now you have the opportunity to be free from your sin. Are you ready to give your life to Jesus? We want to talk with you, so please get in touch with us. You can email us at info at ccfstpete.church. That's info at ccf stpete.church. We want to invite you to join us for church as well. Visit ccfstpete.church to get service times and directions. Not all of our on-campus activities are being held right now, so be sure to read through the latest updates at our website. Again, that website is ccfstpete.church. We're excited to meet you. That's all we have for today. Thanks for joining us to study through the book of Genesis right here on The Living Word. Oh,